Hi guys and welcome to the Fight Type Crafty Boxing Podcast. Yes, I am uh, slowly segueing. <laughs> Probably never going to change it officially, no, we'll see. Um, just, but I need a better name for my podcast. Anyway, yeah, as ever, I'm Lukash and um, yeah, quite a lot to talk about this week because, um, well, there was a big card, um, Errol Spence versus Jordanus Ugas, and there was another one with um, Conor Ben. I'm going to be mostly talking about, you know, the first one. Uh, it did end up being not quite as a you know good a card as I hoped because uh, the main event was really good and the uh, it turned out not to be the co-main like I thought. Um, Stanionis versus Butayev turned out that was good and then the rest were just kind of you know I, I previewed it. I said there were all, you know there could be decent matchups. It all turned out to be pretty one-sided beatings of elderly men, but. Um, I'll talk about them, um, and then yeah, I'll talk about the um, Conor Ben and uh, Chris Van Van Heerden fight, and uh, anything else worth talking about on there. And yeah, I'll start off, you know, obviously with um, with Errol Spence looking very, very good against Jordanus Ugas, and I mean, obviously, he was expected to win, and he did. He, I mean, not not everyone predicted a knockout, but you know, he was he was a solid favourite. He was he was supposed to win, and he did. He picked up his third belt, um, so he's now hoping to fight Terence Crawford for the last one, um, which I hope will happen. I'll talk about that, that some at the end, but I want to talk about the performance and put it this way: um, Do I think that that was the best Errol Spence has looked? Yes, I do. Um, but there's been seems to be some hyperbole going on and you know people were I mean it was a very good performance but um, but it wasn't a paradigm changing performance it wasn't one that it makes me think a little bit different about the Terence Crawford fight which like I say I'll get to later um, yeah it wasn't a whole new, ter- new whole new Errol Spence it was Errol Spence doing the things he does in my opinion better than he does before so what I'm going to get into is uh, you know what what was better like I say and uh and where he's still, where he's still Errol Spence essentially, and um, I think he can. And there was one thing that kind of for his future, not necessarily for the Terence Crawford fight, although Crawford's mean, but um, for his future, if he moves up in weight, that this fight did offer some of, somewhat of a preview. Um, and you could see, I think I actually I could you know I don't know 100% if I'm right because like I say I always say I'm never in the fighter's heads but in my preview I said that Errol Spence would try to do what he did against Danny Garcia a little bit and uh, what he spent the whole fight doing against Mikey and he'd try to box a range and then he'd slowly and then he'd um, up the pressure but um, I said I think I thought he was going to he was going to end up pushing the pressure fairly quickly because he'd find Ugas a much harder fighter to box at range with and that he'd have to push the pressure, and that once he did that, um, Ugas wasn't really going to be able to handle sort of the volume and, and speed coming in and out. Like Ugas wasn't that isn't that quick in his feet, um, and that's pretty much exactly what happened. The first round, um, it was a feeding out round, so it might have been that Spencer's plan was never to do this for long anyway. But um, the first round, Ugas, I think pretty much everyone gave it to Ugas. Most people watching gave it to Ugas. Um, and that was spent at range jabbing throwing like single shots at distance and Ugas was winning that battle it wasn't a major you know it wasn't a dominant round or anything um, 
you know, no one, no one could reasonably have watched that and thought, oh, Spencer's really going to have trouble here, even getting close, because Spencer wasn't really trying to get close. But um, it was pretty clear that Spence, um, that Ugas is a different opponent than the other than the other fighters um, that he'd fought at that range with. I mean, Mikey does that sort of thing. Mikey Garcia does that sort of thing better than Ugas, but he's just too small. So, um, so Ugas is a better opponent for Spence. A worse opponent for Spence to do that against. Um, it was yeah, the round one was pretty much the poking jabs at each other, and Spence it's not even an awkward jab. Like I used to have problems with Spence's jab, I don't anymore. Um, but he's much better following it in than he is fighting at range. And yeah, he did kind of you know he had just a few few counters um, that uh, that he got clipped on, and you know it's it might sound counterintuitive like if you're getting clipped when you're fighting slowly then you're going to get clipped more surely when you're fighting more aggressively or counted more when you're fighting more aggressively but that, that isn't necessarily true and this fight showed why it's essentially because uh, when you close in on your opponent the the things they have to do are entirely different than the things they have to do at range and Dugas is just much better when he's got a little bit of clearance and like I said, and like this proved completely true, um, he's not that good at finding his range again once he's lost it. Like once he's once you've come in close, his feet just aren't very fast, and Errol Spencer's feet are very fast. So sort of second round was a bit slightly even. Like Spence was then still feeling his way, but um, I think I gave it to Spence. So that I didn't write my scores down, but yeah, um, most people gave it to Spence. I think there's some people saying you could not possibly have given the second round to guess. I don't think that's fair. Um, you know, it was he he was in it, and then after that, pretty much the only the only round you could give to Ugas was the one that I think it was round six, where he there's a weird thing with a mouthpiece. I'll get to that in a second. Um, with a terrible referee of Lawrence Lawrence Cole, yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, then Spence started um, upping the pace, and the one thing I've highlighted this if you follow me on Twitter or if you hear from you know. Um, I comment. I, do, I tend to pop around in the live, in the live threads on Bad of Took during the fight nights, just because that's where I. That was the area where I really started getting into boxing. If anyone's curious, so that's why I, I tend to be around there on uh, on fight nights quite often. And I mentioned it there. I'm not going to mention it now, obviously, because uh, I, I consider I pretend to be a technical analyst, and this is the thing that I noticed that I enjoyed. Um, that we, and this is a thing I didn't predict. Um, because my this is the thing where Spence was definitely better than I've seen him before, because that was what that's always been my criticism. My big criticism of Spence compared to these all the other elite fighters has always been he's quite straight lined. Um, he was quite straight lined. He's sort of quite, I mean, one paced, but not not necessarily in the negative because you know he pushes the pet tempo, but he, you know it's not like he's throwing all the punches at the same speed. That's a, that's, a, that's not what I'm trying to highlight. But yeah, he sort of. Moves in a straight line, in and out, and um, he's sort of throwing all, you know, the very good punches, but they were the same. And in this one, he had more lateral movement, and that was very helpful. And I, I think that had to be a deliberate game plan because um, Ugas is quite straight lined, and it just made sense to try to get around him a little bit. It wasn't a, you know, huge. He didn't turn into Lomachenko or anything, um, but he was sort of stepping around him, drawing him around, and then making his uh, his sorties in. Um, the thing that really impressed me. That I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, this is something that I brought up. I'm, I did a bit through Twitter about it and everything, so I was obviously very impressed. Is uh, he'd be shifting his stance just from his shoulders, like he wouldn't be 
um, you know, he wasn't changing his whole stance from the feet up, really. And obviously, when you move your shoulders, you have to adjust your feet a little bit. But, um, but he was shifting his shoulders sort of back, you know, back and forth, essentially doing uh, different things with a set of his shoulders and throwing punches from different positions. You know, it wasn't wild. Uh, I say wild. It wasn't like really exaggerated head movement. Like, um, you know, oftentimes you think about create you know, the you think about creating angles from two different things. Um, from lateral movement with the feet or from really obvious weaves and ducks and head movement from the waist and both those things are really good if, you know if that's what you're good at but there are smaller things you can do with just a shift of your stance you don't have to step around an opponent just shift your stance or you know and again with it you know if you shift your stance with your feet you shift your shoulders anyway but just little little changes and that's what was Spence was doing here consistently he was landing punches through Uges's guard because Uges has a good defense and a good guard it's a little bit static and he just couldn't get the hang of the fact that Spence would change his the set of his basically the set of his upper body the set of his shoulders before he threw um, you can see it most obviously with the uppercuts he was landing um, where Essentially, Spence's basic defensive stance is quite bladed and quite, that means shoulder, your front shoulder's quite side on to your opponent. Or it's quite a big, um, uh, yeah, your, your back shoulder's back, your front shoulder's forward. That's what bladed stance means if you, if you weren't aware of that, which I assume most people listening to this will be. But um, that makes defense easier. It also gives you um, the torque with the backhand it gives you more space to wind it up essentially um, and what Ugas was getting confused by is that Spence wasn't using all of that power all of the time to throw um, to throw the big punches with the backhand every time and that's what he that's what I always think of him as always having done so Ugas was within his rights not to expect this from Spence but what he do so often not all the time and this is the thing you don't do one thing the same thing all the time he was doing it, sometimes he was throwing the big punches and sometimes what he was doing was uh, just shifting his shoulder forward and then throwing the punch. And this is how he landed the uppercut constantly because um, he'd bring that left shoulder a little bit forward and that brings his hand, you know, when you bring your shoulder forward, it doesn't bring, just bring the hand forward. It brings it a little bit, it changes the angle of where uh, of where you can land it. You know, it, you can kind of come round. It's hard, <laughs> it's hard to describe without showing you, but it, it's easier to bring up the middle essentially and Ugas just wasn't expecting but just that little shift before he threw and little pop up the middle and this thing it takes this thing you know it, it makes it harder to throw a really hard shot but you don't have to throw every shot really damn hard and I mean let's be clear Spence fucked Ugas up in this fight he broke his orbital bone it was a it was a hell of a tough guy performance from Ugas because it was pretty clear pretty early on that he was having trouble with that way um yeah, it was these little these little touches, and like, there was a thing. There's another shot which wasn't thrown as often. It was the first thing I really noticed, but it wasn't uh, thrown as often with the um, with the backhand. And that was it was a straight basic. It was a straight left basically, but he'd almost he did the same thing, bring the shoulders forward and just poke out a little left hand. I mean, I say poke. It was a pretty solid shot. It just wasn't the full power shot, and that was confusing Lucas as well because he just again he didn't he basically he really didn't have a handle for this constant little changes. This is a little thing. This is one of those details, and there are different ways to do it. Um, I talked about it before with um with 
Usyk versus Joshua a, a little while back. Um, there are little things we talk about: clean form and perfect form, and per, you know, you're punching and you're moving and all of that, and it needs to be clean and you know for the best delivery of power and for your best evasiveness and all of that, your balance, you want it to be clean. And most world level fighters are pretty clean. Not all of them, but you know. And this is the thing: Tyson Fury isn't clean at all. And the reason he's still so damn good is, is that uh, he emphasizes variety over cleanness, um, over you know t- perfection of form. And I think there are fighters, and Ugas is definitely one of them, Anthony Joshua is another one of them, which is why you bring it up, who is so focused on doing the things that he does perfectly correctly that he ends up only doing them in one way. And to a certain level, that's going to get him far. Like, it got him to where he is, and he's a really good fighter. Um, But just tiny little changes, tiny little shifts of stance, or tiny little different placements of the feet. When I talk about with Usyk, is um, he, uh, when he takes a step forward and a step back, because he's constantly moving back and forward, and Lomachenko does this too, um, it's, it's just really visible in Usyk versus Joshua. Um, you know, if he takes a step forward and takes a step back, he's not standing in exactly the same position. And with uh, Spence here, it's not so much of the feet, his feet are, you know, I mean, he's not, his footwork's good, but um, with his feet, he's still, you know, he's still, oh, I would call his work. His footwork is a strength in his rapid movement in and out, and that's always going to be true. He's incredibly good at that. The lateral movement is something that he's still working on, um, and so he's not, once he gets into the pocket, he's not shifting with his feet in the pocket, but he is doing this thing now where he's, he's shifting his shoulders, and it's not even that... Um, you know, sometimes it's a deliberate movement, and sometimes it's you throw a punch, you withdraw, and uh, you know your instinct is to try to do the exact same thing. Like throw a punch, go back to the exact same position. If you're good, if you're really confident and you're really confident in your stance and your ability to take a shot and all of that shit, then uh, then yeah, just a tiny little different set of the shoulders, just not being being a little bit looser, being a bit more open to. So just being, you know, different placement. You can throw two left hooks from, you know, basically throw the same punch twice and it's a different punch because you're just slightly, standing slightly differently. And, you know, it's not the only way to do things. Golovkin achieves a similar effect by um, just changing the arc of the punch. Like, I mean, Golovkin is, you know, he's, he's not a... You know, there, there is a sense. You, he's not a statue. He's not, he's not a robot. Everything does... You know, he, he, he shifts a little bit, but, um, but Golovkin achieves a similar effect to what Spence was achieving here by just changing the arc that he throws the punch on, like, uh, rather, you know, and obviously that does involve, you know, this, it's a little bit difficult to say say it on a podcast, you know, without a visual aid, but, um, but yeah, with Golovkin you can see it fairly clearly where he'll throw like a looping shot uh, on one loop and then he'll throw another looping shot with another arcing shot and it's comes from the same place but ends up somewhere slightly different it travels a different way and with Spence it comes from more obviously from the set of his upper body with Golovkin it's as he throws he adjusts is what I'm trying to say here I finally got there Um, and yeah it's basically that is a new thing to Spence I think like it's you know it's never 
like I say, he's he's never been completely static, uh, but uh, but I would say he's always been throwing. Like in previous fights that I watched back, uh, and I did look back to see if I'd missed something, and you know maybe I was, you know, if I'd been maybe not just not giving Spence enough credit, and yeah, like I say, he's not he's never been a samey semi fighter, but I think he is it is fair to say that this thing with uh, adjusting what his stance before he throws is pretty new to him. Um, so he's still adding stuff to his game at 32, which is a it's a good sign. It's a good show. Um, and that, yeah, I was just really impressed with that. And then he just basically did the Errol Spence thing um, of just cranking the pressure, cranking the pressure. And he's really damn good at this. Just um, he's constantly in your face and constantly throwing, but not overpacing himself, not leaving himself too vulnerable, and just. I would say some, it's for some fighters it's even more difficult to deal with when when you don't start off that way and you do build up and up and up and up because if you throw everything at your opponent in one go then you're giving them all of the looks straight away and if you sort of crank the pressure slowly then they tire themselves out defending sort of the lower levels of intensity and then you push the pressure and again Usyk does this too um, they're not similar fighters but they achieve a similar effect um, where you know you start you just yeah you crank the pressure crank the pressure um, he's very good at uh, he's got a good defence um, he's not got perfect defence um, one note of concern for him and I'm not sure if this will count against um I don't, I'm not sure if this count against Crawford if that fight's come together because Crawford is smaller than him he's a nasty puncher and all of that um, but he doesn't carry the same sort of thing as Ugas um, which is that uh, Ugas is notably bigger than Spence which is rare in this division this is something I kind of didn't highlight in my preview just because um, you know the fight I had most in my head was um, Ugas versus Pacquiao and he's all, all welterweights are bigger than Pacquiao almost um, so I didn't really quite uh, register how big Ugas is for the weight and he's very big um, you know Spence is a big guy at the division and he was notably outsized by Uldinus Ugas um, and so I suggest that uh, this was the first yeah this, I suggest this is probably the first time that may you know I haven't gone through all of his fights and measured all his opponents but this is the first time he's faced a world level opponent who's bigger than him and he took the shots well he defended well um, and he wasn't Noted. I mean, there was one time, there was one that one instance with mouthpiece, which I'll get to in just a second. But there were several occasions where he wasn't hurt, but he was clearly being moved by the shots in a way that. Uh, so even though he wasn't comfortable with it, because he took him well and um, and he recovered well and he adjusted his defence for them, but he was fighting someone who wasn't throwing a lot of shots at him at a time, and if he's moved like that by someone with more volume then he will find it more difficult to adjust his defence and that's something he has to bear in mind if he moves up to 154 which I'm sure he will like, I'm sure he'll move up to 154 if he unifies the belt against uh, Crawford or even if he loses I mean he might go for a rematch if he loses but um, eventually he's going to move up to 154 and that will be something that he has to think about like this is the thing where I have had a couple of conversations with people and I've seen other people talk about it um, that he'll be sort of dominant at 154 and he might be like he's a really good fighter and he's probably a better fighter on a technical level at the moment he's definitely a better fighter than anyone at uh, Super World away um, whether he'll be better than 
one or two of the ones coming up. We'll see, but because like I, I've been saying for a while, um, me and Taylor have been going bang on about the Strangers. There was a bunch of you know really good young guys, and and none of them. It may be Spence is good enough that it may be that none of them will reach the level of Errol Spence, and it would still be a good division. But I think some of them will, and that's going to be his problem. Like imagine him fighting Sebastian Fundora. He's definitely a better fighter than Fundora right now. Fundora is young enough that he may improve to the level of Spence is now. But if they're throwing, they throw at similar levels of effort, and they're both attritional fighters. And Spence is now less attritional than he was, but he's still an attritional fighter. He still relies on physicality to move his opponents about and to be able to not be moved by his opponents, even when they're landing on him, to concoct his game plans. That's his game plan. And so if he's fighting Fedora, who is much bigger than him, and really hard to move, despite being a skinny twig, like we talked about last week, he's going to find that difficult. That would be a great fight. I want to see that fight already. Like, Obviously, I want to see him fight Crawford, but the moment that's finished, I'm going to be on the horse for Fandora as a Spence, assuming Fandora is still, you know, if he reaches the world belt level and all of that. Anyway, that's, that's a slight aside. Um, yeah, there was that one incident, which I kind of have to talk about because it was so... It was so stupid, and it kind of... I'm kind of reversing on what I said just a second ago because I do think Spence has to worry about that but there's people talking about how he was hurt and uh, vulnerable um, because he got clipped by uh, in round six where basically he got clipped by a good shot and he was a little bit you know again he got moved he got clipped by a good shot and then he got hit another one and his mouthpiece went flying out and well I mean one thing he has to sort that issue out because that's the second time he's lost his mouthpiece you just got to be careful with that shit. Like, no, not in this fight. I mean, he had, I think it was the last fight. Um, but uh, one, this was a combination of Rukieras. Like, this was a, such a silly situation because it's a combination of dark Rukieras. Firstly, Spence lost his mouthpiece. You know, that happens. Um, but his mouthpiece went flying out and he looked for it straight away. Like, he just followed the mouthpiece with his eyes. Like, he stopped watching Rukias, he followed the mouthpiece. That was done. Lawrence Cole shouts stop. And this is the thing with Spencer's being a little bit cheeky with the truth because he says he stopped because Lawrence Cole shouted to stop. He'd already stopped. <clears throat> Ugas stopped because, um, well, no, Ugas um, saw Spence looking away um, and he hit uh, he hit Spence with a two-piece and sent Spence breathing to the ropes. And he was hurt then. He wasn't like completely fucked up, but he was hurt. And then... Because then Ugas registered that Spence had, that uh, Lawrence Cole had shouted stop, then he stopped. And after that, but Lawrence Cole realised, oh, I shouldn't have shouted stop because you're not supposed to stop the fight for a mouthpiece flying out. Fight on. And then, so Ugas is standing there, look, staring at Spence. He should have been attacking. Spence is clattered to the ropes. It could have been called a knockdown, to be honest, because um, he bounced off the ropes. You know, he may have stayed up. Like, if he gave him 10 feet of room behind him, he may have kept his feet. He may not have. I assume that's why... I mean, okay, I assume the referee didn't call a knockdown because he's a fucking idiot because he's Lawrence Cole. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, um, the point being is... Um, yeah, so Spence was clearly hurt and on the ropes and Ugas, having registered the previous call from the referee, stopped. And then the referee's shouting at him, fight, fight. So he comes in. By that time, Spence has managed to recover. But he still has to cover up and sort of recover and all of that. And then the referee does stop him and puts a mouthpiece in and gives him loads of time to recover. And it was just, it was such bad riffing. Um, 
but it was also yeah I can't blame Ugas for being confused um, I can't blame Spence for being confused either because then he stopped like this thing he was on the ropes he heard the referee shout stop and he stopped um, he was he had already been hurt by then but he didn't stop because the referee shout stopped and then it, you know it was just it was a nonsense he's such a bad referee he should, he should never ref he should never, definitely never have world level fights but whenever it's in Texas he does I guess he's a friend of the commission um, yeah he should never get fights on his call he's, he's a terrible referee and even throughout this fight um he has to be the central attention all the time. Like whenever they got into a clinching range, and you know the, he ne- he didn't let them fight other clincher at all. He didn't. It was just he's so bad at his job. Um, yeah, not fuck Lawrence Cole. Um, you know, someone 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 tag him in this and tell him I talked about him and offered him praise and then give him the, the tag time of like twenty four minutes, twenty three minutes and tell him I called him a cunt. He's a fucking arsehole and he keeps ruining fights. And luckily, he didn't ruin this fight. It turned out to be a pretty good one. But uh, yeah, sorry. That's an aside. Point being, um, some were saying that some people would have been, would have been, well, happy to say, and I've seen it, that, uh, that this is a bit of an issue for Spence because it sees and it saw him hurt. Um, it's an issue for Spence because it's a concentration issue. He shouldn't have been looking for his mouthpiece before the ref called the top but um but he, considering the shot he took when he wasn't concentrating he wasn't that hurt and um you know Bud Crawford is a more accurate hitter um possibly you know when he really uh, wants to maybe a harder hitter but he's not as big as Ugas and he doesn't you know his natural the knockouts he gets are often through trickery like he will trick his opponents into thinking he's got less power than he does or he'll wait for them to get tired and start taking the angles and all of that um, and yeah if it's a if we're thinking of Crawford specifically um, I don't think that's how he's going to find you know he'll have to lure Spence off balance because he's not going to push him off balance um, and Spence is very good at not going off balance that's, this is one you know one of the things that's even this is one of the reasons that this whole thing that we're talking about with this shifts of balance and all that um, he achieved all that without losing any extra vulnerability he's hittable and he'd always be a little bit hittable but um, but he doesn't take himself off balance when he's doing his little manoeuvres and he wasn't in this fight anyway and he's always been pretty good at keeping that balance under him and so that isn't a thing that Crawford is going to be able to exploit very easily. Yeah, and what else to say about this? Not a lot, really. Um, yeah, I think, uh, like I say, basically there's no other fight for Spence but uh, Crawford. It, it has to happen next, and if it doesn't, they've both uh, missed a huge prime opportunity. Um, you know, they're both getting getting on. Like Crawford, I think, is 34, um, turning 35 soon. Spence is 32, so it's already sort of on the edge of where they are the best yeah it has to happen next um, my personal pick would still be Crawford because I think you know for all for all of the goodness that for all the good stuff that we saw at Spence here um, I don't think I think he will sh- I think um, Crawford will have to work hard you know there, there was a time when I would have picked Crawford like pretty heavily because I thought he was enough for better boxing than Spence and I still think he's a better boxer than Spence all round but I think the constant move, the constant adjustment of the pressure will make him work a lot harder. I think ultimately he'll still win because um, 
because he has more go-tos, he has more ways that he can fight and still be really, really good. And, you know, like I say, at the beginning of the fight, he saw Spence trying to fight at distance, and he was losing to Ugas, and, okay, Crawford is smaller than Ugas, but I don't think Spence is going to beat him fighting, like, a sort of distance shout battle. Um, it's going to be... The great thing about this fight is it's going to be a fight between one of the best fighters in the world at forcing the pace in Spence against one of the best fighters in the world at taking the fight, at controlling the pace of the fight and taking it to where he wants it. And that doesn't mean he's always slow paced because often we talk about fighters controlling the pace and we think of just slowing it down, slowing it down. And what Crawford is great at is he does slow it down and then he speeds up again and he slows it down and he speeds up again. That's where he fucks people up. And I think that's where he's going to fuck Spence up because, you know, Spence, I think that's where, I don't know if you'll stop him, but I think that's where he will do the most damage is, um, He'll draw, he'll slow down and he'll start, start, start taking distance. And Spence will crank the volume, crank the pressure to get to him. And then Crawford will go to and switch and start hurting him. And then he'll back off again. And then, you know, Crawford will be constantly changing the fight, the pace that the fight is fought at. Whereas Spence will be, you know, he cranks up steadily. Like I said, he's not fighting at one pace in the world to go. But it's sort of a steady progression. And I think he'll struggle to handle that. But he is big enough that he will be. Again, he's big enough that he'll be, he will have a physical advantage. He isn't this huge one punch, one punch power puncher. He's a sort of like I always call him attritional. Um, that's my word for him. And that's you know he he does deliver solid shots. And if he can consistently land the volume on Crawford, he doesn't have to knock him out with one shot. But but I I don't think he's going to be find it very easy to land consistently on Crawford. But in any case, it's you know. At this point of the widest, I'd say it's a, I want to say 60-40, but if you put a gun to my head, I might say a little bit wider, because I do rate Sports Crawford very highly, but it's such a good matchup, it has to happen, like, just, it has to happen. For Ugas, what's in the future? It's hard to say, I mean, he's got this broken orbital, so he's going to be out for a while, um, he hasn't really got a lot of traction in this division, it's worth thinking he might move up, he might fight, you know, there might be belts open at 154 soon. Um, and he's good enough, you know. And, and even if there aren't bits of belts open, he's he he might he might be big enough a name to um, big enough of a name to uh, to interest the winner of Charlo versus Castano. Um, and he's yeah, he's just getting onto an age where maybe he doesn't want cut weight anymore, and he's a very big welterweight. So yeah, um, but but it's probably you know his his career. He's probably done at. I mean, I don't know. If he moves up, he might get another world title shot. I don't know if he'll win it. Um, but yeah, he's done at the world weight division world level. Like, he's not getting back in like, now after this. There'll be so many. Uh, you know, there's we want Crawford and the Spence, and even if that doesn't happen, you've got Boots and it's coming up, and um, um, Stanione. So I'm going to talk about in a second. He's coming up. Um, Conor Ben is probably not really the sort of elite world level fighter, but he's got enough money in the bank that he will get chances at the sort of level at some point unless you know unless he gets a balancing spark before then and I'll talk about Ben in a second um, yeah there's just uh, there's so many things going on in this division that Ugas is if he wants to move up to fight again at world level it probably is a 154 I would suggest um, anyway moving on with the rest of the card like I say much of it was disappointing but there was a good fight between Amanta Stanionis, apologies if I get these names wrong, um, but uh, yeah, Amanta Stanionis and Raza Um 
which was one of those weird fights. This should have been the co-main. This was one of those weird decisions where they stuck it on the on the bottom of the card, um, on the top of the prelims actually, um, and it just wasn't a. Uh, it wasn't super. In, um, it didn't get the attention it deserves, like because the stadium was completely empty. Like the diehards would have been watching this, um, on on the you know I was, but not too many people have been turned on and these guys you know they're not big names in america or western europe or any of this um so they needed push and they didn't get one um and they're high level fighters like um sanyunis is pretty clearly world level but have kind of proved he's sort of edge on world level he has a few issues going on but he's sort of he's got back skills um yeah sanyunis isn't really going to be an easy bout for anyone like i wouldn't pick him to beat spence but um He's not proven it yet, but he wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked if in future it proved that Stanyan is sort of the maybe not the toughest, but you know that kind of he'd be a tough out for for either Spence or Crawford. I think he'd be tougher for Spence, but um, just for just style wise, apart from anything else. Um, but uh, but yeah, and this was for a pretend world title. You know, it's for the regular world title of that they can't even remember the PBA, um, <clears throat> but the. The super world title was on 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 show for Ugas, so so it wasn't really for a world title. Um, but um, yeah, it was a good fight. Um, yeah, my prediction was on this was wrong because I expected Pitaev to sort of uh, undo Stanyonis's defense with a volume that Stanyonis couldn't match and. He did have, I can't, I, you know, I haven't looked at the points stats. He was looking to add more volume, like he was the one pushing the pace more. But I mean, the first thing that he had a problem with was that Stanionis um, has a really good jab. And and it was landing on Buteyev all the time. And uh, I mean, to my, you know, I did say this before the fight. This is one of the things, you know, I can be quite reasonably happy with why, why that I call this. Um, yeah. Um, much of the story of the fight was that Stanionis' jab was landing and Butev's wasn't. And that was the combination of two things, is that Stanionis has a really good jab, really good, heavy, aggressive jab. And Butev's defence at the middle distance is... I mean, I'd have to say it's pretty fucking shocking. Um, it was, frankly, his high guard is so bad. I did say his guard pretty leaky. Um, I think it was, a, it was either Twitter or Bad Left Hook. I said... Uh, that him at one point he just stopped holding his hand up and abandoned the high you know he just came at Sanyonis with his hands down and I said and I maintain that that was a good adjustment because his guard just wasn't doing anything like every jab that Sanyonis threw was landing him and basically when he did get to throw in the hooks and the uppercuts and the, you know all of that all of that was landing too it just wasn't his high guard wasn't doing anything you know if you wanted Taylor watching this would have been infuriated um, you know Taylor my fellow fighter boxing uh Correspondent, because he hates a loose high guard. Um, he hates a static loose high guard that doesn't do anything. And this was <clears throat> at this sort of world level. This is one of the worst ones I've seen for a while. It just wasn't doing anything. And Stanionis was um, was punching through it and around it whenever he wanted. And that ultimately ended up being the story of the fight. Um, because, like I did say beforehand, Stanionis has the better defense. He is a better defensive fighter than number and sort of, you know, both at close and uh, at middle range. That the, the he was, Bataev was 
trying to do more or less the same thing. It's not they not dissimilar fighters. Um, like I said, I think Batao's a bit more aggressive and Stanyonis is a bit more... I mean, he's aggressive with his movement, but he's a bit more of a counterpuncher. Um, but Batao just wasn't able to get anything going because he was getting tagged on the way in constantly. And Stanyonis, you know, he, was, he wasn't waiting for the punch. He was waiting for moves. Like, um, he was countering in the sense that who would jab, jab, wait for Batao to react and then throw the next thing. Um, but he didn't, yeah, basically, um, yes, then it, that was the story of the fight. It was a pretty brutal, grueling fight, and it's not that he didn't take any damage, but, um, but uh, yeah, and ultimately what ended up happening is the opposite to uh, what I thought was going to, um, that Stanyanis' defence was good enough, both at distance and in close, where Bataev couldn't really pick the holes in it. I thought that was going to happen, and it didn't, so good on Stanyanis. Yeah, he's got, he's basically, he's, he's a nice, tight, solid technical boxer he's not you know, he's not going to set the world on fire um, but you know he comes in with behind like I say behind this really good jab and he's got this his high guard is good because he adjusts it for his opponent's throw and that's uh, what ended up happening is, you know Batayev was trying to get the volume going but most of it was hitting gloves and arms because he'd go upstairs and downstairs and the guard would intercept it and that's what you need to be doing and that's what Batayev wasn't doing and that's why I'm <laughs> a bit irritated uh, but uh, yeah it was, a, it was a good fight it was worth watching I'm not you know I'm not going to spend ages talking about it because um, Stan Jonas will hopefully be in more relevant fights I don't know when that will be because like I say this division sort of fighting up like I say I wanted to fight Conor Ben but um but I don't think that's going to happen. I like maybe it will. Maybe Eddie Hearn will decide that uh, Ben will get something out of having this belt. I'm not sure if he thinks that he'll beat Stanionis, but um, you know he might consider it worth a try. Um, Stanionis having this belt, I don't think he brings enough money to the table. He's sort of officially in line for this WA belt, but because I mean, the next thing will be unification, and I believe Boots Ennis is fighting for an RBF mandatory shot. And the RBF are, uh, so firstly, Boots Ennis is a much bigger than than Stan Jonas, and secondly, uh, secondly, uh, Boots has more push behind him, so he'll have more money going into it, and he's more interesting fight, basically every level really. Um, but if the belts scatter, like if uh, if if Spence moves up or if you know for what um, if Spence wins and moves up or for whatever other reason in the belt scatter um, he'll be in line for those for one of those for the WBA so that'll be basically whether he fights relevant fights between now and then I think he should because he needs to build himself a name like um, it'd be a bit pointless of him I think hanging out fighting nobodies that he can roll over and not building himself a name and yeah. Um, yeah. Other fights on the card. Um, so Cody Crawley fought um, Josito Lopez, and that was a uh, very one-sided. Crawley, Crowley. I keep calling him Crawley. Crowley. Cody Crowley. He wasn't as aggressive as I said he was going to be, but that made him a better fighter because basically he had a busy jab and uh, he won behind the jab and he just kept moving in and out. I thought he'd be more ludicrously aggressive because that's what I've seen from him before and this one he was more patient and he would throw down with Lopez when he needed to he basically just picked him apart for the whole fight just constantly throwing 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 and he's going to be an interesting one fight to watch like again I mean him versus Stanionis would be quite fun um yeah he's he's open to be hit um you know he doesn't defend the body really at all his his defense is really just movement 
but he's good. He's got a good attack. Um, you know, he's got good good in and out movement. He's got really, like I say, I really like the way he uses jab. Um, him versus Dionis would be fun because it'd be. Uh, I mean, uh, there would be other reasons would be fun. There'd be a half volume aggressive matchup. But Sionis has got the jab, which is like this really solid, intensive, Golovkin style stereotype. Whereas um, Crowley's got this really busy jab, 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 um, really hard, and they're both really hard to get out of the way of. Um, yeah, I'd quite like. You know, there are a lot of things for Crowley. For Crowley going into the in this division, yeah, he'll be fun to watch. He's one to keep an eye on, basically. Um, what else did we have? Yuri Orkis Gamboa was fighting Isaac Cruz. And that was fight was an embarrassment for the officials for Gamboa's corner for the sanctioning body. Because Gamboa is one of the most knockdownable fighters. I think after this fight that takes him to something like twenty one or twenty two knockdowns in his career. Um Yeah, basically, you know, my hope was that uh there was that Gamboa would manage to keep this sort of trickiness going. But I did say that I think Cruz, Cruz is the most aggressive fighter he's fought at this level, at this weight. Um, he may not be the best, but he's the most aggressive. He's, and in, you know, he might be the best. Um, I don't think, you know, he, okay, he lost to Tank Davis, so, you know, probably not. But, um, but he's the most aggressive, and therefore Gamboa wasn't able to spoil as effectively. And he just kept getting knocked down, and he kept getting knocked down, and he, it was just embarrassing. It was not for the Gamboa, for the corner and the ref, like... After like the second one, you know, I kind of lost track when when all of these happened. It was just pointless. It was just a complete physical mismatch. You know, technically it was a bad matchup for Gambo anyway, but physically it just he doesn't have it anymore, and he wouldn't have it even if he was at the right size. And Cruz isn't a big lightweight at all, but he's sturdy and blocking. You know, he punches quite hard just with every punch. He isn't like a huge. He doesn't have um, Tank Davis's massive explosivity, but. He, Everything he throws is pretty loaded. Um, and yeah, Gamboa just wasn't in a place to deal with that. Like, even if he was at full health at this size, he probably wouldn't be in a place to deal with that. And he isn't at full health, and he shouldn't be fighting anymore. anymore. He certainly shouldn't be fighting this level anymore. And that's all I really want to say. Like, I like Isaac Cruz, but it really didn't, this fight didn't tell us anything. Um, yeah, the other sort of elderly gentleman who got fucked up was, um, was, uh, Francisco Vargas, um, and I mean it's a little bit hard to call him an elderly gentleman but um, you know 37 um, but at least that was mercifully short um, he just got knocked out by Venezuela almost immediately um, I, I really like Jose Valenzuela this fight won't tell you anything about why uh, I mean if, you, if you've already seen it you can see it because what caused the knockout was a little, just a little shift and uh, and step and he threw out a big shot from an angle Valenzuela wasn't um, Vargas wasn't expecting him and it catted him over and he sort of knocked himself out on the canvas, I think. Um, so it was, you know, it was a demonstration of what he does, but um, but it just didn't last long enough to be of any worth as a learning fight to him. It proved that he's at a certain level, but again, he's fighting a guy whose resistance may be gone. He kind of needs to find, you know, I think he's... Close. He ha- he has things to learn. He's defensively still pretty open, but I like his attack a lot. Um, I'll talk about more when he's finding someone more relevant. But he does re- have really good. He just has his footwork. It amazes me that he fights out of Benavides's gym. When Benavides' big problem is his static feet, and he's coached by the same person, the same gym, down in Venezuela. There's actually apparently there's a bit of a story there where he's almost adopted, fostered, whatever. Um, 
I say whatever, there's a pretty big distinction. Basically, he, he's been living with them for since he was 16, I think. Um, he's sort of almost adopted family with them. And he, so he's learned his boxing craft from Benavides, um, Benavides Sr. And quite why they can't work out Benavides' footwork issues and Valenzuela's footwork is so good, I don't really understand. Because Valenzuela's, everything he does comes from the feet. Um, yeah, that's such a cliche thing to say. Um, but uh, yeah, basically, he's constantly looking for weird little angles, little weird step arounds. And he's quite a lanky guy, so he's not like this one of these um, sort of uh, tucked up. Um, protecting himself while he's moving he's quite open and that's part of the problem um, you know he's simultaneously using his length as a defence while taking these wild crazy angles um, so he will get tagged um, he will have to kick that as he moves up but, but it's just really enjoyable to watch and I recommend it just maybe watch his last fight against um, against um, Austin Delay who isn't like a world level fighter but um, it's just more of him so um, so there's that. The only other fight, really, I'm just going to skate over it because um, I didn't watch the whole fight. But even the people who did, um, Brandon Lee was the other big prospect in this card. He's a welterweight. Um, I think all Ochoa, um, um, like my impression was, and I think everyone who was watching agreed, Ochoa um, wasn't really there to win uh, or really fights. He was just there. He just tried to survive for the 10 rounds and did. But um, my impression from watching what I did. Um, was that Brandon Lee just didn't really show he's this big prospect um, got a fair bit of hype behind him he's only 22 so he's got a lot of time to learn and there were things you know the positive things about the performance he's got a really good jab and he was pushing behind it all the time but he didn't really do anything other than jab and like, like I say I didn't see the whole fight but I think if he had done anything other than really jab he would have got um Ochoa out of there and just from talking to people about it from seeing people talk about it I think that's basically what happened was he just followed him and jabbed him and jabbed him and jabbed him but couldn't get anything else going and yeah that fight's basically no one's talked about it after the after it finished the yeah so Brandon Lee has he's solid but he has to work on adding the depth and that's really all there is to say from this card so I am going to move immediately on to Colobin and there isn't an awful lot to say about this fight or this card. Um, yeah, Conor Ben was fighting Chris Van Heerden in the first round. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot to say here. In the first round, Chris Van Heerden is a good enough fighter that, uh, that Ben had to... You know, he got tagged a little bit. He's, he's never going to be unhittable. He's never going to be not vulnerable. There, they were, you know, exchanging, exchanging on relatively even terms. Um... And then in the second round, Conor Ben just came out and melted him because the you know Conor Ben gets some derision. Um, he did get he has got exposure. He wouldn't have got if he wasn't Conor Ben if he wasn't Nigel Ben's son. But he has genuinely really put in the work, and I think because he gets compared to Chrissy Pat Junior a lot, and that's understandable. Um, their parents were rivals, and they've been sort of spanning off each other. Um, I think the big difference between them and. Eubank Jr. puts in the work, but he's got such an ego that it doesn't really mean anything. Like right now, um, he's with Roy Jones and he is kind of listening, you can see it. Um, but firstly, that's the first time that's ever really happened that he's talked to a guy. It's just too late. It's just too set in his ways now to really, for a Roy Jones game plan to really be something that Eubank can learn, I think. Whereas Conor Ben, you know, he does, he has instincts to be really aggressive and do what he wants to do and he will fall into that but he's clearly 
listens and works really damn hard at mitigating sort of dealing with the bad the over aggressive instinct and um, frigging ways out to figuring out how to use them and how to you know even just retreat like in this fight pretty early on he got countered and tagged and had to step off and he did step off and he sort of jabbed a bit and he knows how to move and box at range a little bit he's not great at it he's okay but he did it until you know until he recovered uh, well he wasn't hurt hurt but until he had a bit of a bead on and just throughout the first round he was just doing little things offering little different looks you know he, he got he got tagged in the first you know the first round was quite even um but he's clearly, basically, Ben's clearly been working on different stuff, different things he can do. He's been being taught well, and yeah, and that helped him get through the first round and then step up. And yeah, that's the difference between Eubank and Ben. The thing for kind of Ben that kind of worries me is uh, what happens next, because for all that you know, I'm talking about he has, he does get the respect, he does deserve the respect for. For listening and learning, um, but he's only going to be a certain level of fighter, and I don't think he's going to be elite. So he's kind of a show. He's a show that is um, in England, uh, in the UK. He's the draw that he is is in excess of how good he really is, and that's fine. That's you know I don't really have any problem with you know I'm not going to be sniffing at uh, him using his name to get himself um, the right things. But the problem is that now it might not be him. It might be his. Uh, it might be Eddie Hearn or his management or whatever, but he has to have a say. The fights being talked about for him are um, Brooke and Khan. I don't think either of those should happen. Uh, Khan's just too vulnerable and he'd get flattened almost immediately, um, whereas Brooke can't make the weight safely, so I don't think either of those is on the table. <clears throat> Beyond that, at British level at this division, there just isn't a lot for him. Like, um, I would really love to see him fight Eka Wissenman. Um, like Wissenman, if you've not seen him, it's actually really damn hard to find his fights I don't really understand what BT are doing and they should upload his fights on YouTube uh, but he's good aggressive um, powerful he's really fun to watch you know his nickname is I think the locomotive and it just pretty much rarely has a fighter been as summed up by his nickname as that uh, and that would be a really fun fight it's just not going to happen because um, because he's with BT and um, Frank Warren Essman is and um yeah, it wouldn't be a big enough fight to get them to work together. And beyond that, at British level, there really isn't anything that would get Ben, you know, that that, that match room and Ben would think would be worth his time. Um, and the fighters that he would want, sort of at world level, he's not on their radar. You know, your boot tennis would, you know, he's not going to compete with a boot tennis or a Spence or whatever. Um, and he's, you know, he's not a big name, particularly in the States or anything. So you're looking at these sort of uh, the the name that does keep getting brought up is Avanesian. Um, he's moved to Queensbury as well, I think, to um, to Frank Warren. So that kind of probably puts it off the table. You know, maybe they could. That's been talked about for long enough. That maybe they could push to make it happen. Um, you know, and these are the fights that um, Eddie Hearn, I think, did mention Stanionis or um, after after the fights. Um, but he sort of mentioned it as it's not really worth it. Um, and that's probably true. Lucky Stanionis is probably good enough to be too good for Ben. And the belt that he's carrying isn't currently worth enough. Like maybe in a couple of years, it would be worth the risk for Ben. But at the moment, it's not. And so who's he going to fight? Like, 
There are a bunch of guys. I don't know, maybe Cody Crowley would be a good fight. But again, he isn't enough of a... Crowley is too dangerous to then... To, you know, risk losing this sort of momentum he's built up without being enough of a name to be... I mean, that's that's the kind of fight I'd like to see him fight. I'd like to see him throwing in sort of edge-world-level aggressive fighters to have really fun fights in. I think that should be his niche. I'm just not convinced that uh, that himself and his handlers see him that way because of because the fights that keep being talked about are Brook and Khan and those would be shit fights. Anyway, the real... The actual fight on this card, the one, the actual competitive one, was uh, the rematch between Chris Smith and Tommy McCarthy at Cruiserweight. And I think basically what ended up happening was similar story to the first one, but much more emphatically. And that was that uh, Bill Smith is a more... He's less, he's probably less athletic. He's definitely less sort of um, creative, but he's just got much more fundamental... He has a good jab. He has good... Fun, fundamentally decent footwork where he lets he controls the space in front of him and I could talk about this a lot controlling the space in front of you it's particularly relevant here because McCarthy isn't good at that McCarthy has a good bag big bag of tricks that he, things that he likes to do and uh, and he likes to you know he's quite agile and fast and you know decently powerful and he likes to do different things but he hasn't got the fundamental and he's off balance a lot and I think that was ended up being the difference here Basically, McCarthy didn't really have any way to any consistent way because he did have you know it's not that he had no successes early on, but um, he didn't have any consistent way to draw Benham Smith, um, Benham Smith into the positions that he needed to counter him, and that was his game. That was he needed to be countering, and he got a few shots home. Like Benham Smith's defense isn't fantastic. He's he's got this basic high guard. It's not as bad as a. Bataev's, but it's not very mobile, and he's just not hugely mobile in general. Like his footwork's fine, but it's straight-lined and stompy. Um, and McCarthy was trying to sort of move around him and counter him and all of that, but um, but he just gives up too much control. And like he's so focused on getting around that he has no—he almost has no interest in competing up the middle. Um, and it get, you know, much like the Bataev fight, um, he's very, very, very jabbable. Um, that just starts off, you know, that just, if you're being that easily jabbed, it just starts off a momentum shift straight away against you. And, um, yeah, McCarthy, is best, it's happened in the first fight, it happened even more here, he's just very rarely in balance. And when you're not, when you're taking your shots when you're off balance, you're going to take damage, and they, eventually that's what happened, essentially. Um, yeah, he got, uh, he kept getting moved around. And also because he, you know, Ben Smith is sort of keeping himself tight and compact and all of that, um, he doesn't expend as much energy as McCarthy just moving and trying to move around him constantly the whole time without really Billum Smith being threatened by it because he didn't have the timing to consistently do anything. If you're going to be moving around with your opponent all the time, they'd better be turning to follow you. And that wasn't really what's happening because I, mean, I don't even know if, if it's a thing with... He moves his head and not his with his feet so much, McCarthy. That's why he's off balance. And it also means that he has to come back to the centre. Um, you know, and that's just a bad thing to be. It makes you predictable even when you're trying to be unpredictable and it makes you vulnerable. And yeah, he has to sort that out um, because it, that's what got him in trouble. Like it wasn't actually the thing, you know, in the, f- in the end, the finish was sort of, he got pushed to the ropes. 
But yeah, basically throughout the fight, they, they were throwing at roughly equal clip. But Smith was not throwing a bit more. But he's expending a lot less energy to do it. He was landing more of what he's doing. McCarthy was just kind of yeah, he was he wasn't setting things up. He was trying to draw Bidden Smith onto things. It wasn't really working for him past the first few rounds. And then yeah, then I think he just got, he, I think partly he got tied out. Then he just kind of got bored to the ropes. So the final sequence where Bidden Smith just kind of jabbed his way in, and McCarthy didn't really have any way to deal with the jab. Um, he got pushed to the ropes. He didn't really have any way. He doesn't really have an inside fight in him. Um, he doesn't have a defense when he's in close. Yeah, it's it's a bit frustrating because. Because McCarthy, Tommy McCarthy's a talented guy, but um, but he's got huge holes in his game, and uh, and they they were just showed up against a guy who's been clearly working on just getting the most out of what he's got. Um, it's always fun to see a fighter get, you know, he might be, you know, he's he's never going to be super world level, but he, Chris Bill Smith, just he's sort of quietly been beavering away, um, and getting just yeah, getting the most of what he can. Uh, out of what he does, and he's a British, you know, he's a good British lover. This was a weird one because they they were fighting this time for the cruiserweight and the Commonwealth fight when they fought last time. They, they fought for both of those belts and for the British cruiserweight title, which is now um, which was since vacated. It's now vacant. Like I don't really know why um, um, why that wasn't on the line for this one, um, but yeah. I kind of assume that Chris Miller Smith will fight for it again soon. Um, yeah, the basically the division is pretty good um, at British level. Like it's a good, it's a fun division in general. But there's a bunch of guys at British level. I don't know exactly where the promotion stands. Um, but Smith will want a rematch with React Paul. Um, I don't know if that's a good idea for him necessarily because. Uh, React Paul has also been improving in ways that will make Bluesmith it will that will make things difficult for Bluesmith, but he will be he'll be a live guy in that fight. He's got Isaac Chamberlain, he's got yeah, basically there's a whole list of guys um that uh Billy Smith could fight at domestic level. And that would be good fights. It's a good it's a good division at British domestic level, so it's a Basically, he'll be on these sorts of cards. Um, he'll, he'll rarely be the headliner, but he'll often be sort of second, third. And he, yeah, it's just good enough. It's a good enough division that he'll rarely be in a bad fights in terms of the matchup. Like they might turn out to be boring sometimes, but um, but he should always be evenly matched for the foreseeable future because it's just too many good fighters to bother chucking him with someone who's not on the level. Um, so yeah, um. That's really it for this week. Um, next week we've got uh, really only one thing going on, which is a uh, Fury versus White, um, which I don't think is a very it's an event more than it's a fight. You know, it's a show more than it's a fight because Fury is obviously much much better. Um, Tommy Fury's on that card. Um, Isaac Lowe is fighting Nick Cabal, which is probably the most equal fight on the card, and I like watching uh, Ball because he's he's five foot two at featherweight, I think it is. Um, so he's a, he's a little guy and he's just so aggressive and a little bit dirty but you know not in dangerous ways it's kind of the, you know pushing the boundaries of the rules all the time um, but he's good as well like, he's really aggressive but he's good and so I think that'll be possibly you know that'll be worth watching and other than that there's really nothing going on in the card so you know but check my preview I'll, uh, I'll dig into it and see see what's there 
Um, yeah, um, follow me on Twitter at Crafty Boxing. Um, follow the fight site and check the fight site Patreon out for our sort of exclusive content. And that's it for me from this week, and I'll see you next week.